just feel like someone here, you've been in just deep, deep place of darkness and despair. I just see the Lord shining his light into that place in your life right now. The Bible says the light dispels the darkness. It must go in Jesus' name. It's the light of his glory. It's the light of his presence. And he's here just to dispel that, that fear and that anxiety and that place of giving up and depression. Thank you, Lord. It's lifting right now in the name of Jesus. He's given us new clothing, garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Come on, church. I don't know if you got a new wardrobe this morning, but the garments of praise. Let's just give him praise in this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. He's doing, he's, he's here and he's touching people. Amen. Why don't you greet somebody in the name of the Lord? Just give somebody a hug or welcome them this morning in this place. And fist bump, elbow bump, whatever they're comfortable with. I guess you people like each other. I'm going to get them back. But if you can find your way to your seat, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house today. Family, loving each other, people getting baptized. Come on. That is good. My favorite quotes, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's a little wet. 
And yeah. So, your wood's a little wet. And that reminds me of a story, right? Two pastors trying to backpack with their boys. And, uh, <laughs> Ranger Rick. Um, yeah, we tried to light a fire because all our stuff was wet. We figured it was okay because it dumped rain. And then uh, apparently it was not because the ranger came over and said, did you know there's a burn ban? <laughs> and if you would have seen how hard Pastor Sam worked to get that fire going, I mean, that was, that was, he was working with wet wood. Um, praise God. Amen. Well, excited to give in the house this morning. Amen. And uh, I just want to give a praise report. Those of you who may not know, we have over here Precious Child Care and Preschool. It's been running since 1993. 90. What? 90. Thank you. Um, that was BC for me. Um, but it's been running for a while. And. We, you know, obviously we went through some stuff with COVID and all that and, and uh, really just praying about direction last earlier this year and, and put a fleece before the Lord as to what we would do um, facing even potentially having to shut it down. And uh, the Lord just answered miraculously for us and brought us an amazing preschool director. She's just full of the Lord, loves kids and loves the community and it's just a, a tremendous uh tremendous uh addition to our staff here and not only that uh she's got a tremendous faith in believing god for things and uh, we found out that the state had a grant available for preschools and uh ended up being three times more than we thought it would be and it came <laughs> and so that enables us to really update some stuff that needs to be updated and and help us hire new teachers and just really make this a blessing to the community and so uh we're just thankful to the lord for his faithfulness amen and uh that he's really turned the ship kids are coming in we got new families coming in and so we're we're just excited about what god's doing there so i just want to testify they're part of this church and and if you need child care it's a wonderful spirit-filled christian facility for your uh and teachers who love jesus and want to uh uh, minister Jesus to kids, and so uh, it's a great uh, connection to our community as well. So pray for them and pray for continued growth and blessing over that ministry. Amen. Uh, I just want to read you a passage as we prepare our tithes and offerings this, this morning, and uh, it says this: "Blessings are on the head of the righteous." How, you like that? But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Even the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Um, I just, I was reading that just going, man, how God blesses. And I'm just counting every blessing that God's brought in this house this year and your families and promotions and just God taking care of you. Amen. And so, and know that and uh, know that you are blessed. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you're blessed this morning. I know we say that a lot, but I don't know if... You need, we need to wake up every morning declaring that over your lives, declaring that over your kids, declaring that over your finances, and, and uh, that he's our provider, and he'll take care of us. Amen? And so I just want to remind you that you're blessed, and even Ephesians 1 says you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Not some, every. I, I thought you'd get excited about that, but every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Amen? So we thank God for that. If we had our ushers come and you guys want to prepare your offerings and, um, man, it's already December Whew. and it's cold, <laughs> but if there's fire in the house, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why don't you pray with me as we, uh, as we give this morning. Father, we just are so grateful. We come into your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise this morning. Lord, thank you that we are truly blessed. Lord, that you have answered and God, that you have done exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we could ever ask or think or imagine according to your power that is working within us. God, we thank you for the spiritual blessings. And we come before you this morning with our 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 gifts and our offerings and our tithes and lord we ask you would bless it 
multiply it, use it for your glory, for your kingdom, for your praise, and for your kingdom to be advanced in the earth. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for what you're doing, and we thank you for what you're going to do, God, that we've only just begun to see what you have, and it's unfolding before us, God, that the path of the righteous is brighter and brighter as the dawn. Lord, we thank you for that. We bless your name, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said... reminded me it's already 11:30, so I need to finish before 3:30. Okay. All right. You guys can praise God. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, and uh, just excited to share the word with you this morning, and believe God will just speak to our hearts. And not to take too long to do so. Hey, amen. amen. Praise God. And we've been we've been on this topic of His kingdom and our culture, and and I want to speak to you today about righteousness. Oh, thank you. I love you. Appreciate you. Um. And I was thinking about. We read this verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and it says, Blessed, there it is again, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Maybe your Bible says filled, maybe, maybe um, however it reads there, but, and, and maybe you've read that a thousand times over, but I don't know about you, I read the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and I get something new every time. And what we're looking at are the attitudes of the kingdom. Amen? The be attitudes. This is how, how we are to be, and it's who Christ is in us. I want you to see that this morning. It's who Christ is in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's him, and it's his nature that comes alive in us. And thinking about being hungry, and I thought about menus, Right. And as a parent, when you take your kids out to eat, it can be an adventure. Right. Especially when your kids are young. But but what I loved about when my kids were young, they got a separate menu. And that menu was simpler. It was simpler. And it was like there's three choices on the kids menu. And, and, and it doesn't take too long to figure it out. Usually, usually I could guess which one my kid would want. And so then they started to grow up and they started moving to the bigger menu. And uh, I don't know if you've been to Cheesecake Factory, but that, right? All, the choices. I'm like, you guys, need to, you guys need to tone this down. It's taken us an hour to get our order in. And my kids are walking, you know, flipping through the pages. Well, which one? I don't know. I don't know what I like. There's so many choices. And um, it's just time, right? And you're hungry and you're just like, just choose one. I'm going to choose one for you. Five, four. You, every parent's done the countdown. And their kid, your kids get smart eventually. And they go, I know nothing's going to happen at zero. I know you're going to get to zero and it's going to be the same. But life, life is like this. We have so many choices. As you grow and you get older and more mature, supposedly, <laughs> the choices and the options increase. And they get more complicated. And so I, here's this verse, and it's talking about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I just get this picture. Sometimes we're like the kid who's standing in front of the fridge and it's full, but they're saying, we got nothing to eat. 
we've got nothing to eat. I'm like, what are you looking at? There are people all over this world who'd love to have that fridge. What he's saying is, it's not what I feel like eating. Are you with me? But we have so many choices, and sometimes that can be overwhelming, and sometimes... You know, we just need to narrow and simpl- narrow down and simplify life. And here he's challenging us in our hunger, our appetite. Yeah. What is our appetite for? And it, it's, it's, it's important that we see what he's saying about righteousness here this morning. And as we've been studying kingdom culture, it's the way we do things. It's the way we are. And so I, I, I love that we're a multicultural church. Amen? I love that we have people from all these different nations here this morning. And I believe, believe that is the way the kingdom looks. It's beautiful. But no matter where you've come from, even if you're from this culture, your family has a unique culture, and you're coming into the culture of the kingdom of God, we're all learning. We're all adapting to God's ways of doing things. And it's his culture, it's his kingdom above my culture and my kingdom. Are you with me? And he says this, he says, the kingdom of God, and I've repeated this verse several times over this series, but it begs repeating, and it's this, the kingdom, Paul says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that last part. In the Holy Spirit. Because apart from his power and him working in us, we don't experience those things. The righteousness of God. The gospel of the kingdom, which is the invitation to come into the realm that God had intended for us from the beginning. The invitation for him to restore what was lost in Adam. Come on, somebody. That Jesus has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And as we come under the submission to the king, we experience the fullness of what he has for us. But it's the Holy Spirit who makes this a reality in our life. What is righteousness? It's right standing. It's living in a way that pleases God. It's approved by him. It's integrity. You know what integrity is? It's when you're doing the right thing and nobody's looking. Because you can make us all think you are the greatest Christian. But God knows what goes on in the, in, behind the scenes. The integrity. That's the righteousness we seek. That's not just in front of men, but it's when in front of God. Say, so he sees my every moment and I want to live a life that's approved by him. My meditations of my heart, my thoughts would be pleasing to him. The words of my mouth would be pleasing to him as, as David says in Psalm 19. But it's this desiring to live in a way that pleases him. Righteousness. It's virtue. It's purity of life. It's correctness of thinking and feeling and acting. It's conformity with his holy law and conformity with his will. But then he says it's hunger and thirst for this. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Not for success. You with me? Not for Happiness, because the happiness is a byproduct of seeking and and hungering after righteousness. See, we live in a nation where we value our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm glad for that. But this pursuit of happiness can lead you down a deadly road when it's your main pursuit. It's the pursuit of righteousness that leads to true happiness. Hunger and thirst, the most intense of our needs as humans to express the intensity of desire we are to have to live a life that is pleasing to God. All of us can relate this morning to hunger and thirst. Maybe some more than others right now. But this word for hunger is pianeo, and it's to crave crave ardently. It's to seek with eager desire. It's not a hunger that says a piece of bread is good enough. No, it's I want the whole loaf. It's a thirst that describes this thirst is, is in the Greek, these words really implied not just a partial hunger or thirst, but a full hunger and thirst. And this thirst is those who are said to thirst who painfully feel their wants. Are you with me? Painfully feel their wants. 
Get hold of that this morning. And eagerly long for those things which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. I just want to know if you're thirsty and hungry this morning. Because, see, it's hunger and thirst that God responds to. It's hunger and thirst that God can work with. It's when our desire for Him and His righteousness exceeds every other desire. And you know, the Bible says in Psalm 90 and 37 that if we delight in the Lord, if we choose to delight in Him, that He will give you the desires of your heart. I love that. You say, oh, He'll give me what I want. No. He'll make you want what he wants. Come on. I don't know. When I got saved and I got delivered and I became a new creation in Christ Jesus, my want began to change. I began to want what he wants. I began to desire what he wants. It's like you when you first met your your sweetheart. Come on. You start spending time with this person and things that you didn't like before. Now you you like because she likes it. Yep. Pastor Sam says, chick flick. We got those rolling all weekend, bro. All right. They're going. Yeah. I mention it every year. You know, it's that season. But let's look at the previous Beatitudes before this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Pastor Sam preached on that a couple weeks back. So awesome. The poor in spirit's that understanding that you're in need of him. Your need for him, your poverty apart from him. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn. And what a paradox, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are sad. What? It's counterculture. That's the kingdom of God. It's counterculture. Blessed are those who are sad. And it's a sadness of this. It's a sadness. It's a grief over sin and sorrow and the state of this world. Because we're living here, in, and we have the kingdom of God inside of us, but we're living in a world that's under the kingdom of darkness. And see, we, we mourn, and so we mourn, and maybe we mourn over souls. Maybe we mourn over the condition of the, the church, or the condition of our society, condition of our neighbors, our families, our friends. But there's a mourning that's blessed. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so that leads up to this passage because, you see, if you understand your poverty, you understand the mourning, and you understand the posture of heart that God asks for, you will unquestionably desire and hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Those are the beatitudes of the kingdom, but you can't be satisfied by a snack and never be fully satisfied. You'll never be fully satisfied this side of eternity. You understand that? There's a holy dissatisfaction. Yet the crazy thing is, he says, if you have this, you'll be filled. If you have this, you'll be filled. And, uh, you know, sometimes we lack the hunger. Sometimes we lack the appetite because we've eaten snacks before the main course. Come on. And we've the delicacies of this world, and they're so tasty, but they have a bad aftertaste. They, ha- they leave indigestion. They leave in- unsatisfaction, right, in the end. And then we have no appetite for the things of God or for him himself. And so he's desiring for this in our hearts. And, he's, and I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you hangry or are you hungry? Okay, this is a sign that's in our kitchen that my, my son bought for his mother. Come on, you had that moment. You said things you regretted. We can repent this morning. And you know what's weird about hanger is this, right? It's this, it's this irritation, irritable behavior that happens when you're hungry and, and you know it. Or maybe you don't know it. Our kids didn't always know it. I'm like, you're hungry. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you're hungry. Believe me, I'm, I'm not eating anything. And, there's, and, I, and they got food. And it's like they got saved. <laughs> I 
they became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Transformed. And they're like, I'm sorry what I said, and that's why that exists. But see, the world's kind of hangry. You know, they have this condition of want, right? They're wanting, but they don't know what they're longing for. They don't know what they're longing for, and the true need is right standing with God. See, they want, we, have a, we have a world right now that's crying out for justice. We have a world that's crying out for peace. They're like, this isn't, they know in their depth of their being that this isn't the way things should be. But there's injustices, and so they, they cry out, and there's this cry. And I believe that is the cry of the heart of God, but they don't know it. There's a cry in them, and, and it gets misdirected because they're fallen image bearers, right? It gets misdirected in this passion, this desire for justice and peace and, and seeing things right in the world causes them to grab hold of all these causes and things, and yet inside of them is this hunger and thirst for righteousness that they have not yet recognized. The Bible says that there is eternity in the heart of every man. Eternity. There's a knowing, there's a, there's, a, there's a longing, there's a God-shaped hole in the size of, in the, inside of every person. And it can only be filled with Him. And every attempt to fill it with something else leaves a void, leaves a dissatisfaction. And so they're hangry. They go around thinking, if I can just get this, or if I can just get that, then I'll be happy. But they get it and they're not happy. They're still empty. They're still wanting. They're still longing because God made us that way. He made us for fellowship with him. Come on, church. He made us to be in relationship with him. And that's the desire. That's the longing. That's what's missing. But even Christians will fall into this trap because we've made the gospel about happiness. It's the westernized gospel. We're going to tell you all the benefits if you will become a Christian. And there are many. Don't get me wrong. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But you have to come to repentance. You have to come to a change of heart. Charles Finney says there's three things that takes us from sin to righteousness. And it starts with confidence, faith in God. Then it comes to repentance. But then it comes to a complete change in moral rectitude. What does that mean? How I treat people. There's fruits of repentance. There's evidence that I've repented because I begin to love people. I got saved, and I'm like, man, I used to, that guy used to bother me, but man, I just love him now. I don't know what it is. You, you don't, you, I, you, I can't, if you've not experienced this, you're like, that's foreign to me. Of course it is. But when you experience it, it's indescribable. I don't know how to tell you. I love these people now. I couldn't stand them before. But I love them. The love of God is in my heart. There is fruits of repentance. There's change and transformation that take us there. But many unhappy Christians, come on, we've met them. The shoe fits. Come on. But... We've met them, and there's many unhappy Christians because they've been given the wrong expectation. That your circumstances should determine how you are. Are you with me? You got quiet. Your circumstances determine how you are more than what he's done determines how you are. Because what he's done can, gives me an eternal joy. What I have in him is eternal. It's not, doesn't change. It's not lost because circumstances get better or worse. That's how Paul could find this place of contentment, even having or not having. Because he found the secret of happiness and true joy in the kingdom of God. But here's how we do this. We go, see, I ask somebody how they're doing. I'm like, well, okay. Um, but uh, there's this job situation, and they're down, you know, and so they'll tell you everything that's going on. And I understand life has its challenges. But the mentality can be that once this changes, I'll be happy. 
once this, once my spouse starts treating me different, then I'll be happy. Oh, wait. Once my kids quit disrespecting me, I'm going to be happy. Once my boss treats me right, I'm going to be happy. Come on, you. One of these fit. Once my neighbor quits parking funny, I'm going to be happy. My wife's looking at me. <laughs> you see, yeah. See, we've made that condition on somebody else's behavior and some circumstance changing. But when, when righteousness is your pursuit, there's a joy and there's a blessedness on your life that doesn't change with circumstance. But if you're pursuing happiness, then it's going to be like this. It's going to be the roller coaster. But you know what I believe God wants for us is a level, straight path. No more of the wavering. Are you with me? All right. Happiness is never found in direct pursuit. It is a byproduct of the pursuit of righteousness. Describing this passion. This passion is real, just like hunger and thirst are real. This passion is natural, just like hunger and thirst are natural in a healthy person. This passion is intense, just like hunger and thirst can be. This passion can be painful just like real hunger and thirst can cause pain. This passion is a driving force just like hunger and thirst can drive a man. This passion is a sign of health just like hunger and thirst show health. See, a dead heart can't aspire to anything. Thank God there's still a desire in us for him. Thank God there's still a desire for him. But it's not a desire just to be forgiven of sin. It's a desire to be free entirely from sin. From its power. From its presence in our lives. A desire to go on to perfection and maturity. Are you with me this morning? I was just reading Philippians 3, and it wasn't in my notes, but it, I believe it talks about, Paul says, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And, you know, I used to think that meant, you know, I'm going to do something for God. And, and we all are. We have a calling in, in, in terms of what God has for you to do. But the calling is to be like him. The calling is to be conformed to his image so that's my aim. And he says, everyone who, let everyone who's mature or perfect have this attitude. That I've never arrived. I've never arrived. I keep pressing. I keep, I keep going forward. I keep believing. Come on. I don't give up. I keep, I, I keep letting God work in my heart. I keep, I keep surrendering. I keep repenting when it's, when it's needed. And God's doing a work in me, and it's, it, and it's a good work. Come on. And he's faithful to complete it because he started it. And here's the paradox. We both hunger and thirst, yet at the same time we're filled. The more we are filled, the more we hunger and thirst for him. What a, you try to understand it. But the more you're filled, the more you want him. That hunger increases as you cultivate that appetite in your life. See, if I've never tasted something, then I can't hunger for it. But the moment I've tasted it, like my son's waffles, I'm telling you. This kid can cook. And there's special days I'm like, Gabe, will you, we make waffles on Saturday. And last week he made waffles with peppermint. And I was like, bro, you could... This is like Food Network. <laughs> this is so good. But see, once I've tasted it, then there's a, I'm like, I'm, I'm warning you because you're giving me this goodness, I'm going to want it more. So Psalm 34 says, what taste of the Lord and see that he's good? And then there's a desire for more. Not just to taste, Lord, fill me. I want more. I want more of you. I hope I'm stirring something this morning in your heart. Better yet, the Holy Spirit's doing it. 
Psalm 17, 15 says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. You know what? As we behold him, we become more like him. As we behold him, we become more like him. And that's whatever we focus on, that's what we're becoming like. And I, I really believe that. And that's what we're sensitive to. You see, as you're focused on negative things, you become negative. You begin to focus on Jesus and who he is and his word, and it will transform you. I guarantee it. Psalm 63, 1 says of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's describing this deep yearning, this deep longing for him. And that's the picture of the Beatitudes. It's a pauper who has nothing to give or offer, recognizing how wretched his condition is and his need for something humbled is now starving for true food. True thirst. And I get this picture of you. See the people by the side of the road which says we'll work for food. They're desperate for, and they're willing to put themselves out there not ashamed because they are hungry. And see, when you're hungry and thirsty, you might get a little bit crazy. You might get a little bit radical. Come on. You might be like those who approach Jesus begging. I preached on Bartimaeus to the youth on Wednesday night. Blind beggar, man. He's crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. Crowd saying, Shut up, man. Be quiet. And he got louder. He got louder. He says, I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss my opportunity. I'm hungry. I'm, he may not come by again. I'm not going to miss it. He got louder. He got more radical. And it's really describing a hunger and thirst for Jesus himself. I'm moving along. Here we go. Jeremiah chapter 23, 5 and 6 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Somebody underline that. And do justice and righteousness in the land. That's talking about his future kingdom. But he does justice and righteousness in us now, right? We are his land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And in his name by which he will be called, listen, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah seed canoe. He is the Lord, our righteousness. He's who we desire. The essence of kingdom culture is the intense desire to be like the king. You see, you can't have peace and joy without righteousness. You can't have justice without righteousness. And that's what's missing. You see, we want the world to be made right, but there's no righteousness. There's immorality. There's still the blood of 60 million babies crying out. You need to pray this week, church, and over these next six months. Pray. The opportunity for that to shift is now. I don't care what political association you may have. That's not a political issue. That's an issue of heaven. The blood is crying out. Lord, let it be. Undo this terrible, terrible injustice. Then Jesus says on in Matthew 5, 19 through 20, he says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called, what? Least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We need to redefine greatness. See, the world has a greatness-ism. The world has a version of greatness, which is not like God's. He, one of the key principles of the kingdom of God is, is he says, it's not, it's not to be this way amongst you. He says, this is the way the world does it, but it's going to be different than, you're going to be different than that. You're counterculture. 
Are you with me? It says in verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so you got to imagine how shocked the crowd was at this. we got to be better than them? I mean, these dudes fast twice a week. They, they, they go around and they know all the oral traditions. They follow all of these things. And we can't keep up with them. You're saying our righteousness is to exceed them. And he, this was revolutionary. It was counterculture to say you have to exceed that. What did that look like? You know, Jesus had established at his coming that he wasn't doing away with the law. Not one tot, dot or tittle of the law would be removed. He was going to fulfill it. And see, the radical, the, the, the Jews on the right would, would have been like, well, if you're going to get rid of the law, that's a problem. And then the left, those who, were, those who were on the other side would have said, no, we need to do away with that. We need something totally new. And Jesus said, I'm not doing either one. I'm not, I'm not getting rid of this. So you know, I'm here to fulfill. But I'm also here to set it straight. Because it's been misinterpreted. It's been used self-righteously. It's been used to condemn people. It's been used in a way I never intended. So I'm going to set the record straight. Now he says, for I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, and I'm sure they're like, boom, mind blown. And he, then, he, then, he, then he goes into how. What was, their, what was wrong with their righteousness? Number one, they trusted in themselves. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 19, 9 through 14, and I'll read this quickly. And it says, and, he's, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that, were, that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Can I just say something? Those two go together. Those two are, go together. And do you know why much of the world has a bad taste of the church? Because of that. Let's just be honest. They think when they, they go, oh, you guys think you're better than us. It's that attitude. It's not the attitude of humility and love that Jesus expressed that we are to express. That's, that's what they've seen, and so they're like, well, no. Right? When we think that we got it together, ooh, it's time to, it's time to hit reset. Verse 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to, the, to himself. This, just notice that. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Those prayers go nowhere, guys. God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, Ugh. Even tax, even this, even this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Come on, it's just, it's nauseating. Five eyes, five eyes in this prayer. You know where I want my prayers going to him. <laughs> but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, the sinner." Jesus says, "I tell you, as this man, somebody say this man, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted." That man with his simple, desperate prayer was answered. Lord, have mercy to me, a sinner. That's a recognition. That's the attitude. That's the heart disposition that Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes. Two different, radically different prayers. And I want you to see there's five eyes. There's also another couple of eyes in a different, a different uh, narrative. And that was the one of Lucifer. He says, I will ascend. I will establish my, my throne in, above the heavens. I will raise my throne. I will sit on the mount of the assembly, says in Isaiah 14. 
I, 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 I. You see, that's why this prayer was so disgusting. It's the same spiritual pride that got Lucifer in trouble. And a third of heaven. All right, look at this in, in, in Matthew chapter 23. Almost finished here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, out of verse 23 through 28. Read this. So one, they were trusting in themselves. But then Jesus rebukes them and says, Hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected, what? The weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Verse 26, he says, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may be, become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which are on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Lord, the Bible says that Jesus knew the hearts of them. He saw past the externals. He saw past the act, their performance, and he saw the true condition of the heart. And that's what it was. That's what we deal with. It's a performance-based living, an outward conformity, trying to convince others of our goodness. That's what the Pharisees did. It was a show. But Jesus said, no, inside you're full of dead men's bones. And he didn't say this in condemnation. He said this in, in probably brokenheartedness. Saying, this is, this is not how it's to be. This is not how, what my kingdom looks like. There's a counterculture that I want to establish in my people. And it looks different than this. It looks like hearts that are burning. And Charles Finney put it this way. He says, while a sinner may live a perfectly outwardly moral and religious life, a truly regenerated soul cannot live a sinful life. Do you see that? You say, but pastor, the Bible says we've all missed it. Yes, we all miss it. We sin, we miss the mark. But guess what? I've changed my aim. I actually have aim now. There was no aim before. There was no target before. I was just doing whatever I pleased. Are you with me? And then God changed my heart, and now I have an aim. I want to be like Him. So therefore, my heart has changed. The compass of my heart has changed. My desire has changed. And so there is in me a desire to be like Him that wasn't there before. So yes... I will sin and miss the mark, but the righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. They don't stay in that lifestyle of staying down. Are you with me this morning? If you've fallen, get back up. Don't stay down. Paul spoke this to Timothy, warning of those who are holding to a form of godliness. He says in these end times, but they deny its power. You see, it takes power to live godly. You can't do this on your own. If you're trying to adhere, you can say, what are the rules? What are the parameters? How do, I, how do I act? How do I do this? Do I just lift my hands? No, no, it's an inward transformation, and then it will show on the outside. I'm not trying to be like everybody here. Please don't be you. Be who God made you to be. Be Christ in you revealed. Come on. The unique revelation of Christ in you. Be that person. And the expression will be beautiful. Theirs was an external observance of the law. Doing all the right stuff. Following the rules, the oral traditions. But their motives were wrong to be seen by men. Man, we can fool people. I've done it. I was a PK. I grew up in the church. I knew how to talk the talk. I knew how to do all those things. But my heart was hard. Inside, I was not living the life, the inward righteousness. When that changed, everything changed. And those who were spiritual knew the difference. Oh, I see. Something's different in you now. The act is gone. There's a true change, a new nature in you. Amen? A new person in Christ Jesus. 
from the inside out. Jesus says, first clean the inside of the cup. Notice that his priority is, he's not that he's not concerned with the outward. He's, out, he's concerned with our behaviors and our actions, but he wants to start with the inside. You see, the church, we're not in here about behavior modification. We're here about heart transformation. Not behavior modification, but heart transformation. Because when he does that, then we don't have to convince you to do the right thing because Jesus is living inside of you and your motives have changed. You're transformed. I, I mean, I've seen this in people where they're like, they'll come to pastor and they're like, we're counseling, but it's like we're pulling teeth and, and you're like, there's something missing here. And then God does a work in their heart and they come back and they're like, no, I, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Yep. That's it. Because he lives in you. He lives in you. Jesus lives in you. If you don't hear anything else this morning. And he's alive. And he, Yes, that's exciting. Okay. Then he goes on to correct five. That Look, they were majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. And if we're not careful, we can get into this. In essential things, unity. But in non-essential, liberty. I'm going to say that. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's kind of important. This is the Savior. He's the Lord of the. He's the Lord and the King of Kings, and all that. That that's important. Believing in the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Trinity. These are important things. His death, burial, resurrection, his virgin birth. I mean, all these things are important. But how you dress on Sunday? Outward, external things sometimes that we make so important. Come on. It's the heart. He's concerned with. So let's get, get on here. He says, he corrects five misinterpretations of the law by the Pharisees. You've heard it said, but I say to you, and he deals with murder, adultery, false swearing, revenge, and malice. I won't go through those, but he sets the record straight. He says, this is what righteousness looks like. It looks like you're going to go worship. And before you worship, you recognize your brother has fault with you, and you go deal with that first. Because the Lord says, your worship can't be worship unless you've got the horizontal thing right. Are you with me? I know this is something, this one's hard. Because sometimes we're going and we're trying to lift our hands and worship and we're thinking about what so-and-so did to us. And maybe we just need to stop and go deal with it. And let the Lord deal with the hearts and the reconciliation that's needed in that situation. And he says, he changes it. You said it's... He talks about, you, you've, you've said this is adultery. But I say that anyone who looks upon a woman in his heart and lusts after, he's already committed adultery. He goes after the heart. He goes deeper. And they're going, wow, you just raised the bar. And it should make you feel hopeless unless you have the Holy Ghost. You're powerless to live this way unless he's living in you. Oh, you got to get that. You can say, oh, that's that's too hard. I don't know if I can't live that way. Yes, you can. Yes, you can because it's by his power. It's not by yours. If you die, I love what Tiffany said. I just want to die this morning. We're going to put that over the baptism. People go here to die. This is where they go. Because if you're dead, then he can be alive in you. Resurrection power, quickening your mortal body so you can live this life that he intends you to live. Overcoming, not being overcome. Paul's desire in Philippians 3. So what is this superior righteousness? I'm going to be really quick. I know I said that four times. All right. And may, Philippians 3, 9 says, and may be found in him. This is Paul's desire, talking about the desire to know him. Not having a righteousness of my own, Derived from the law, and Paul knew all about that. But having that, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if my desire is to please God, then I'm to believe. And, and as Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, they said, what is the work we must do? He goes, this is the work you must do. Believe on him. That's the work. Believe. And they're like, can't be that simple. Yes. 
It's that simple. Faith. Righteousness through faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, it's the simplest thing, but sometimes it's the hardest thing because we deal with unbelief. Are you with me this morning? I'm not good enough. I'm not this. Well, that's, yeah, you're not, but he is. Oh, did you hear that this morning? You, yes, you're not, but he is. And you may not feel worthy, but he says you are. He says you're worth it. And he, and he says it with an exclamation point saying, I gave my life and my blood was shed for you. His precious son was given up as a price on your head. That's how valuable you are to him. The righteousness he spoke of, and it says in Romans 4, 5, says, but to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. What a gift. I believe that revelation should just give, bring joy to our hearts each and every day. The righteousness he spoke of which was, of, was that which is sustained in our soul by the indwelling of Christ by faith and the inner working of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul prayed that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. It's him. It's him. It's his Holy Spirit who, it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live, who convicts us of righteousness. And it says when he was leaving, when Jesus was talking to his disciples about departing, he says, and he will come, the comforter that is, And he will convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they don't believe in me, but righteousness, what? Because I will be no longer here. You won't see me. What do you think? Do you think they had it better when Jesus was in the flesh, or do we have it better with the Holy Spirit living in us? Trick question. Kind of. You have the Holy Spirit in revealing who Jesus is on the inside. Come on. That's something to get excited about. He is showing me who Jesus is. I may not have walked with him in the flesh, but I have his heart, his motives, his thoughts. His, he, they're in me. I read the Bible and I have the author talking to me. Come on. Hunger and thirst are the keys to being filled. and So stay hungry. A great saint said, if you want God, you have already found him. Do you get it? The desire and the one. I mean, I love hearing these testimonies. It's like, I realized I needed God. See? You found him. The moment you realized it, I need him. You found him. He was already working to bring you to that place. Somebody may have been praying for you, a grandma or something. I remember, I remember one time we were down on the streets in the U District, and we were doing this um, evangelizing, and Bob Hecker, he's not here this morning, but he was out there just playing guitar and worshiping in the middle of a parade. And uh, it was kind of disrupting the entire parade. It was pretty awesome. They all had to go around him, and they're like, you know, they're doing that. And, uh, but then some people would stop on the edge and they would look and they just kind of stood there and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says that boy right there his grandma's praying for him his grandma's praying for him so I walked up to him I go hey man I know you don't know me from anybody but I just felt like asking do you have a grandma he's like yes I go is she a believer he's like yes and she's praying for you she's praying for you he said yeah and he just began to cry because, see, God, God is after hearts. Amen? In closing, I want to pray this, what Paul prayed over the Philippian church. He says, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. See that? In order to be sincere What was the issue with the Pharisees? Sincerity. 
but he wants us to be sincere. It comes from the inside. It's real. It's authentic. And blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled, somebody say being filled, with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. That's awesome. To the glory and praise of God. Hallelujah. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Can we sing that? Hallelujah. For the cross. How many know the culture of the kingdom is cross culture? It's the culture of his cross. It's not only cross cultural, but it's his cross through which we see. Paul says, I seek to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. That's how, that was his perspective of the world. To see every person through the cross. To see them as Christ sees them. To see them in the price that Jesus paid for them. The value that he placed on their life. The love he has for them. I seek to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. So this morning, we thank you, Jesus, for that cross. We thank you that while you demonstrated your love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Jesus, you died for us. Lord, we thank you for your righteousness this morning. That him who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's to say that him who was perfect, the spotless Lamb of God, when John the Baptist saw him coming to the Jordan, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That perfect, spotless Lamb without sin was treated as a sinner beaten crushed whipped endured unbelievable pain isaiah says he was marred more than any man marred more than any man unrecognizable because of how he was treated treated as a sinner 1 Corinthians 5 says, 2 Corinthians 5 says that so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That we might be treated as righteous. I don't, sometimes we can just take these things for granted, but with a price of the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus, what he's done for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross that joy was you it was me it was our lives being transformed the joy of obedience to the father in spite of the pain and the loss he saw the gain on the other side of that empty cross cross and the open and the empty tomb price paid for us if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ you've never made him Lord never surrendered I want to implore you this morning today's the day of salvation don't waver don't wait don't say I'll do it tomorrow you don't know if you have tomorrow you don't know what tomorrow may bring but God you're here for a reason and a purpose God brought you here this morning you heard the testimonies God and the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart this morning and now is the time now is the day of salvation not tomorrow if that's you this morning and you need to repent, you need to turn your life to Jesus, I want to implore you to do it today, to do it now. It's as simple as this. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you will confess that Jesus is Lord and you will believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you'll repent and turn from your sins, you can receive the forgiveness of sins that he has for you this morning. He loves you. He's called you. You belong to him. Will you, will you give yourself to him? If that's you and you need to make that decision this morning, I want you to lift your hand where you're at. And we want to pray with you, church. Church family, we love you and we want to pray with you. And so and we'll have anyone who needs prayer. The Holy Spirit's been working on your heart this morning. You say, Pastor, I've lost that appetite, that hunger, that thirst for him. I believe the Holy Spirit's here to renew and refresh and to stir within you that hunger for him. Maybe we've given ourselves to other things. We've been filled with other things, but the Lord's here. Will you make room for him in your life this morning? If you need prayer for sickness or anything this morning, we're going to be up here to pray as we worship and close this morning.